Hi everyone, Dan here. And before we start the show, I'd like to take a moment to talk about the WMQ&A Patreon and what it can do for you. For example, did you know we have a monthly bonus podcast called Our Son Pete, in which a guest joins me to talk about a comic starring British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom? It's true. This month, Austin Gorton and I covered Excalibur number 99, and it was a blast. We talked about Onslaught, why smoking is bad, about how smoking in comics can be used to do cool things, proper posture for reading about Spanish torture in bed, and more. We also have Pete Wisdom stickers designed by Kevin Newburn that say hot claws on them and look great. But maybe that's not what you're looking for. Maybe you're an up-and-coming creator trying to get the word out about your Kickstarter, Zoop, webcomic, or independent book. We can only do so many hour-long interviews in a month. But for $25, we'll dedicate a 60-second spot to shouting out your project, guaranteeing you a few hundred extra earballs. Or maybe you want to advertise your mattress in a box or online therapy program or your pubic hair trimmer. For $50 a month, you can sponsor the show. Who wouldn't want to hear me read ad copy about custom-fit underpants or whatever? These are all options available to you, but only if you back us at patreon.com slash WMQcomics. What are we going to do? Say no to your money? Actually, we will if you're a Nazi. But you're probably not. Right? WMQA! Hello and welcome to WMQ&A, the podcast where two best friends talk about comics with the people who make them. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Lazowitz. And this week's guest is the writer of DC's new Superboy comic, Kenny Porter. Welcome, Kenny. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for having me. So uh, to start off, Kenny, what are some of the first comics you remember reading? Oh, wow. Uh, that's a great question. So my dad actually had a bunch of old gold key comics uh, in a lockbox. He had a bunch of the old Star Trek ones. Um, so I remember flipping through those. And some of my own first comics, uh, I actually lived just like a couple of blocks from a comic book store. So I'd take, uh, I'd take all the money I could scrounge up, usually coins uh, in my little like <laughs> neon yellow shorts because it was the early 90s. And I would run down there and buy uh, like, stuff in the quarter bins or stuff that was on sale. I remember buying a lot of like untold tales of Spider-Man uncanny X-Men. The first X-Men book I ever bought was the one where they're not ever even in costume. They just like go to a bar after another adventure. It is the famous one where um, Colossus and Juggernaut have like a bar fight, like outside of costume. That was like the first one that I got, uh, which was awesome. And then I bought a ton of Batman stuff. Um, so I really like, I read, anywhere and everything that I could, any Ninja Turtles stuff I could get. And I also read, um, I found a lot of the early manga that they would translate that was at comic book size. So I had some issues of uh, Dragon Ball, which I didn't know what it was at the time. And then also Giver, uh, which was like right up my alley too, of like monsters and armor and stuff. So a lot of the early stuff that I picked up as a kid, I got there. And then I got back into comics as I got older had more pocket money from working and stuff could actually buy collections and everything. And that's when I got more into like the seminal classics, like uh, Batman year one and everything like that. Or I got, a, uh, my cousin would tell me about Craven's last hunt, but I didn't get to read it until way later. And I was just like, that sounds like the craziest thing I've ever heard. Um, so I got to read that at dark Knight returns and stuff after that. But yeah, I've always had my, I've always had my foot in the world of comics. I like to uh, I like to count count the number of times uh, Matt smiles when a guest talks about their first comics, and so let's see, we hit on Gold Key, we hit on Star Trek, we hit on uh, <laughs> Year yeah, One, uh, Year One, Year One, definitely. <laughs> no, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. But uh, you are and here. that Juggernaut issue, 
<laughs> yeah, no, that, that is a classic right there. <laughs> uh, but you are here to talk about Superboy, colon, The Man of Tomorrow, uh, six-issue DC comic with artist John Oy Lindsay, uh, which should be in stores by the time this episode drops. Uh, Matt, give the people what they want. After the events of Dark Crisis, Connor Kent feels out of place with the rest of the hero community. He doesn't fit in with the rest of the Superman family, and the rest of the world doesn't really need him with so many soups in Metropolis. He doesn't want to rely on Tim, Cassie, and Bart, so Connor looks to the stars as a place he might be able to call his own and carve out his own path. But what lurks in the great unknown? Are bravado and swagger enough to help Superboy find his new calling? So this is the comic that won DC's 2022 Round Robin fan vote contest. First of all, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, second, what was that process like from your perspective, you know, watching the the fan voting and, and sort of planning the book uh, based off that, watching it become, you know, sort of more real every week? <laughs> yeah, that was nuts. So um, I so I had known the previous tournament just from watching and voting and participating in it from the year previous. So I didn't know a ton going in. Um, I don't know what it was like for everybody else. For me, this pitch and idea was something that I already had. Uh, after Connor came back in the Young Justice title that Bendis was doing, um, and then subsequently like Action Comics and everything, I was like, man, like that's absolutely nuts that they followed the track because at that point they were like realizing their world had been rebooted and stuff. Um, and like Connor literally escaped that like is from another version of the DC universe that he doesn't fit in with this one. And my mind just started reeling of like, he's always been an outsider because he's like, he's a clone. He's half Clark. He's half Lex. Um, he's, he's always felt like he's like not completely belonged to like, now to like literally be in a universe that was written without you, like where John kind of filled that role before, like really made me feel like there was a story to tell. And when I saw that, like he, he didn't necessarily have his own title yet and stuff. I was like, man, if I could do a Superboy story, like this is what I would do. And when my editor, Andrew Marino asked me, like, if I could do any character at DC, what would I want to do? I threw him this and he was like, this is great. Would you, would you be willing to put this up for the round Robin tournament? I was like, absolutely. Like, I would love to see what people think about it. Um, I know that there was a lot of fans out there that love Connor from the young justice animated show, which I was also a fan of. So I put it together and he paired me with Janoy when uh, when he found out the tone that I wanted to go for, where I wanted to do like big cosmic action and kind of take it in that Dragon Ball kind of route with him of like sending him into space, putting him up against people who were as powerful, if not more powerful from like different alien races, different types of experiments and stuff. Um, and Janoy was the perfect fit for it because he throws in. First of all, just like great cartooning with the acting and everything, like big emotions, which I'm always a big fan of. And then the action he really captures in terms of that like dynamic Dragon Ball feel where you feel like a Kryptonian is scooting across the ground like to to fight an opponent. So I thought he was the perfect fit for it. Um, and when that kicked off, I didn't know what the other pitches were going to be. I only knew what mine was. So to see people react so so strongly about Connor coming back and like showing up to vote for that book and for us, like as more art was revealed uh, and as we got closer, like it it really like warmed our hearts to know that people were as excited about this story to read it as we were to tell it. 
Um, also mentioned that uh, I am like known as a huge Green Lantern fan. So the fact that my book got put up against the Green Lantern titles uh, was definitely like hurt me a little bit as a fan that I had to defeat them um, because I would read any Green Lantern title ever. And both those uh, both those were awesome. So um, I know that some of the pages are in the digital version on the app of uh, the one that Cy Spurrier did the John Stewart story, but the Alan Scott story sounded awesome as well. I liked all the pitches that were in the tournament. So the fact that the fact that ours won out, like means a lot, like both as a creator, as somebody who like put themselves out there with a story that I tried to put a lot of myself into. And also just uh, as somebody who's a fan of DC comics, seeing other DC comics fans really turn up for Connor and the Superman family. Okay. So Jumping off script for a second, because I'm now curious, having you having said you're a Green Lantern guy, who's your Green Lantern? Who is Ooh, your... So, okay, so that's a hard question, because I, I love them all. I'll tell you, I, I'll give you two different answers based on, like, who I who was mine, because when I came in, and then two, who is the most fun to write so far that, mm. I've, gotten, that I've gotten to touch. So, so Kyle is the Green Lantern that was around when I jumped in. Um, when I was able to like actually afford buy Green Lantern comics, it was at the stage when he was in like kind of the motorcycle outfit, the more like leather typed one, um, with kind of like the prototypical ion symbol that he was wearing at that time. Not when he was like, don't want to get deep continuity, but before he was ion, <laughs> when he had the motorcycle thing. Yep. Um, and he was back with Jade. Uh, so and then right after that, Hal Jordan came back. So those two are pretty like neck and neck for me. Uh, with with writing so far, I uh, Guy Gardner is super fun to write because he's essentially like the brash, like Wolverine to like give people another example, sort of they're not familiar with mm-hmm. of the group, uh, where he's like he's loud, he like wears his heart and his thoughts on his sleeve. So like he was super fun to write at the time I got to write him uh, and do it with Riley Rothmo. But all of them like John Stewart is amazing in the Justice League animated show. I think uh, Jessica Cruz is really cool and Simon Baz, uh, Alan Scott. Like I love the golden age characters. Like that's why I wanted to put them in DC mech. Um, and then the whole core, like absolutely love the green lantern stuff. Uh, so happy to go off script and always talk about GL stuff. <laughs> and I'm very excited for Jeremy Adams, new green lantern, book, uh, which I got to read a bit early, which I just like chef's kiss. Loved that. Thought it was great. Yeah. Yeah. I- I've, I'm waiting for more Joe Moline. I've come to really love that character out of Far Sector. Oh, yeah. Joe's great, too. Yeah. Her outfit, like the big glasses, like such a cool, striking visual. And she has like a way different approach than the other characters do. Um, now, the the solicit text mentions Dark Crisis, but you had to have pitched this before you knew what dark crisis was because round robin was going before that how much did you have to sort of retrofit based on dark crisis how much did you have to retrofit to fit in with dark crisis or were you able to just sort of move forward with little to no tinkering yeah so that's an interesting question because when we when we did it originally, like the plan was for it to kind of be its own isolated thing. But as it developed, like we decided, like we wanted to like fold it into the actual Superman line and have it like take place alongside everything else. 
a dark crisis going on. Like we talked to the team that was doing the, the young justice, like dark crisis book. And I, and I asked like, okay, where are you going to take them? Cause I need to know, like, if mine's going to come afterwards, like, does it sync up? And luckily, like all it did was feed fuel to the fire of like how he was going to be acting anyway. So I was like, perfect. Um, and then with the Superman team, like checking with Philip Kennedy Johnson, Josh Williamson, making sure that we set up like where he is in active comics, 1051, that it, uh, that it fits there, that like his personality had the same shift and that did too. So really we just talked about like how to have the bookend line up with um, when everybody debuts in the cool new jackets uh, sort of thing. So it was mostly a talk about jackets and fashion uh, in terms of how we were going <laughs> to sync that up and like, Luckily, like emotionally, it was all going to pay off in the same way. So um, it just ended up working out perfectly in terms of syncing up with uh, the greater DC universe. So what what is your as as a fellow 90s baby, you know, what is your personal relationship with Connor? You know, where did you first uh, encounter him? Uh, you know, uh, me personally, like, you know, I wasn't I was I've never been like the hugest DC reader, but, you know, I've mm-hmm. been. I, I've I've dabbled and so like I've read Joe Kelly's run on Superboy, for example, because I followed Joe Kelly from Deadpool to the Superman titles at the time. Yeah, so I was there uh buying comics during the whole Death of Superman thing. So when all mm-hmm. the four new Supermen showed up, I was buying his uh he and Steel and the cyborg Superman, Hank Hang Henshaw were like the three I gravitated towards the most. And my friend bought all the um, all the John Henry Irons like steel issues, so we would like trade and read back, so we could read them all. So I really got introduced to him like back at the OG at the beginning, and I had read a bunch of his follow up solo series up to a point um, as I could get them, um, and then uh, I dipped back in like during the uh, during the Johns run and his Teen Titans run and stuff, and then obviously like fell back in love with him with the unique take in the Young Justice cartoon. So I was there like when he got like when he got introduced and I was all about it. I thought it was super fun and everything, like pun intended, I guess, uh, and really enjoyed it. It thought that it was like a fun new character. Uh, it was all in. So I think it was like I think it's recently like the 30th anniversary of when he premiered too. It was like this past week. So it was just like perfect timing of like when that issue dropped. So yeah, I was there right at the beginning and I've tried to keep up with them when I've had the means like since uh, growing up. You know, of all, of all the members of the Superman family, you know, Connor feels very of that moment in time, you know, like he's, he's your dad's Superboy. He's cool ranch, 90 Superman shredding ollies and watching Encino man before the garbage concert uh, to date myself further. Uh, you know, as we mentioned before, you know, the kids have John who's, who's now sort of aged up and become Superman and even had that, that title, you know, what's, what's, I guess, what do we need to know about Connor going into this book? Yeah. So I think that if you've never like read a Connor cat thing before, uh, the greatest thing about him is he will jump into a fight to protect somebody else without a second thought. The worst thing about him is he is going to showboat while he does it because he loves doing it uh, and will take any opportunity to throw in that bravado. And that will often get him in trouble. And while, while this book kicks off, you know, he's, 
he's seeing that like he felt like it was crowded before and now that there's all these other people like with like within the house of l protecting earth you know he doesn't you know he's he's not questioning if he's good or not with the whole like clark or lex thing he's like accepted his heritage the question is now is like what am I going to do to like actually find a place to help people? And so that's why I want him to take this active role now of using that, like willing to jump in without a second thought and the bravado to be like, well, if everybody here is covered, like show me where nobody's helping. So that was like the whole impotence of just like, I don't need anybody. I'll just go jump in. Like I could take care of this. Uh, so that's like really that whole like bravado, um, rushing in like to help people like willing to uh, willing to step in front of somebody who's being bullied sort of thing is how I've always perceived him kind of like uh, if the Superman family were the Ninja Turtles like he would be the Raphael of the group like the one who like loves a scrap uh, and will always like make sure to throw in a little like one liner about how better he is than the person he's fighting and stuff so that was kind of the approach of them is like that sort of like red color attitude going in um like guns blazing uh just thinking like it'll work out uh and then usually doesn't much to his detriment you know if we're comparing members of the superman family to ninja turtles i do have to ask now who is the michelangelo that's a good question on some days i think it's um on some days i think it's john but other days i think it's kara is uh I'd, that one like oscillates a little bit for me. Sometimes I throw John in, like the Donatello role, but like Tara, especially depending on um, depending on the era, like can be a little bit more of the fun, more party one sort of thing um, with the fun attitude sort of thing, or the little bit more like calculated. Uh, Clark is obviously like your good old Leonardo, uh, like always there, leader of the group, stoic. Um, but yeah, like I. I'd think I think you'd probably go there, but like John and Kara, depending, like kind of oscillate a little bit. So if Connor is Raph, does that make Tim Drake Casey Jones? I mean, it might fit, yeah. Like the two of them, yeah, the two of them paired up and stuff all the other all the time in Razzidum, especially like in that first movie. Yeah. Gotta love that. I learned what cricket was because of that scene. Because uh, I had to be like, "What the heck is a cricket bat?" Uh, so, and I had to ask my parents about it. So, yeah, totally, uh, totally fun memories there. <laughs> uh, now, uh, in keeping with the the theme about Connor, one of the things I like and and is that the full title is that it's Superboy, the Man of Tomorrow. You know, it's it's it, it's subtle, but it's it's still it makes it so clear this is a story about Connor, sort of looking for himself uh, and you know i don't know who gets the credit for that i just you know wanted to say that i kind of dug that that no that no oh, thanks it is thematic of like of what his outlook is is like this is who i am who am i going to work towards being in the future like what's my future going to be so it's definitely like it's definitely talking about him growing and finding his place and about eventually like who is the man he's going to define himself to be in the future. So I'm glad. Yeah. I know that like man of tomorrow is obviously like very synonymous with the Superman family. Um, so I wanted to like, I wanted to pull that in thematically of like, what does that title mean to him? Just like what would the man of steel mean to John differently? Uh, 
So yeah, I'm glad that that resonated with you because that was a it was a very tactile like tactical choice to do that thematically. Superboy is known for his iconic black leather jacket, uh, you know, which shows he's a, a hero with Tood, which I wrote Tood in all caps just for fun. Uh, but anyway, feels right to me. Yeah, <laughs> as as we've as we've discussed, uh, Asimov fangirl asked on Twitter, uh, she wanted to know best superheroes whose uniform includes a uh, a leather jacket, uh, apart from Connor. Uh, I'll make this a question for the group. Ooh, that is a good question. Um, I'm trying to think about some of my other favorite characters with leather jackets. Matt, you want to jump in here, buddy, while he thinks? Yeah, because I definitely have one. Uh, Jack Knight. Oh, oh yeah. Starman. That's, uh, yeah, that's a great one. With the Zodiac mm-hmm. Starman symbol on the back of the, the leather jacket. Yeah. So I made a homemade t-shirt of that once because oh. I wanted one so bad and I <laughs> I like had to print it off and hired it on and stuff. Uh yeah, that's a great that's yes. a great answer. That series remains a, a top five for me. As the guy who actually did full shade costume for Halloween this year. Yeah. Oh, it, cool. Yeah, it, it remains one of my it's one I reread every so often just because you pick up something new every time. Yeah. That reminded me, uh, I'd say Robot Man and his leather jacket from the from the Morrison run. But I absolutely love that look too. Uh so I I decided to pull from Marvel, which gave me uh a lot of choices just because, you know, Rogue, obviously, Cyclops, uh, and then that entire squad of Avengers, which, you know, I was thinking about that today, and I'm like the way Cersei of the Eternals has been presented is sort of this high society uh, gal who loves sort of mingling with humans and, and just, you know, they kind of put her in like jazzercise clothes in a bomber jacket in the 90s. And it just in in yeah. retrospect, now that we've seen, you know, the the, the movie and the Kieran Gillen run and everything, it seems, seems like an odd fit. But, you know, Steve Epting made it work. Did, did, did. Yeah, did Dazzler wear a leather jacket for a while too? I think that, so. Like, she might have. She might have had one in Pride of the X Men. I think. Okay. Yeah. 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 So leather jackets for everybody. <laughs> I'm all about it. Just give everybody a jacket. There's got to be. I'm trying to remember. There's at least one Elseworlds Batman who wears some kind of jacket as opposed to the cape. I think it might have been the. The Liberty Files, like World War II, JSA one. Well, that might be oh, my head yeah. that's Tony Harris. So I've got Starman leather jacket on the brain. So I might just be thinking of that. But that was much more of a World War II era soldier uniform. Yeah. Oh, my God. I can't believe, like, claiming I'm a Green Lantern fan. Uh, Al Jordan's bomber jacket uh, uh, from his dad. Yeah. And Matt, if you were to try and pick somebody from the Bat family, I was going to say Jason. He strikes me oh, as a leather jacket guy. Oh, yeah. The original Red Hood costume out of uh, the, the Winnick, Doug Monkey. Uh, yeah, he's mm-hmm. wearing a, a pretty much a leather jacket over the the uniform. I mean, in Hush wore more a duster, but that was. Yeah. You know, he, yeah I mean, and that's a whole other you get your, your dusters, your trench coat. You got a whole, yeah. you know, 
trench coat brigade there. Oh, true. Yep. The whole books and magic crew. Yep. Um, so the main villain, at least in the first issue of Man of Tomorrow, is a dominator who's creating genetic hybrids. You know, like Connor. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, Connor spent a lot of time dealing with that Man of Two Worlds stuff. And despite, as you said, he's sort of made his peace with it. I have to imagine that seeing that experimentation isn't the easiest thing for him. No, it gets it gets frustrating for him later on, especially to see what's being done. Similarly, the fact that um, Dominator X like talks about how he was inspired by Earth genomes, like them clashing powers and making clones of things and stuff. So it definitely like is a little bit of a sting to him to see somebody else doing this on other worlds uh, and to such a perverse level. Uh, we get to see more of those later on that Janoi draws that are super fun. So uh, I there's one of them I absolutely love that's like, that's kind of a gag, but that I kind of wish uh, wasn't in a flashback because I would have used it. Uh, that would have been really fun. I, there's always time to bring it back, but... He does some really fun and wild things with the designs. A lot of them he comes up with himself. I was that yeah, actually hit my next question right there because I was curious about if you had other specific ones in mind. Because the first couple we see amongst them, there's you know a Durlin and a Kalinar, and so you know, I was I love that kind of deep DC lore stuff. I'm the the nerd who recognizes all those types of species so it's exciting that it's something that you don't need to know it's the best kind of easter egg yeah i i definitely gave him at the jump i was like here are all the dc alien races the first three i did call out specifically because i was like that volcano head is too fun not to use (laughs) when i saw it in the uh morrison sharp green lantern run I was like, that would that would be so fun to use as like a clone thing and add some extra arms, especially if it was like trying to lower you down into it, uh, like as an attack sort of thing. So I did I did pull a ton of different alien races. Um, the Cosmeteers are also made up of alien races that exist already. Uh, and then we expand out more, and then later on with some of the experiments because things are mixed and are from different alien races or inspired by different like biological weapons. Uh, Genoi like branched out and made a bunch of his own stuff, but you will see a ton of references to, as you said, like the greater cosmic DC universe of different alien races. I have to say that volcano green lantern is my favorite green lantern. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He's super fun. Yeah. And that whole, like that whole race hasn't really been explored a lot or anything. So it was like, anytime you do the cosmic stuff, find the cool stuff that's been done out in space in DC and like throw it in there. Uh, because if you love it, somebody else is going to love it. Case in point, everybody loves a fun volcano headed person. And you just mentioned the Cosmeteers who pop up at the end of this first issue. Uh, there's a lot of different teams out there in the, the DC cosmos. So what makes these beings unique or sets them apart from you know the omega men or the blasters or the legion Mm -hmm. no that's a great question so um first 
first things first, I wanted to create like all new characters for him to interact with, like to go on this journey with. And two, um, these characters have been like bred for war and grew up that way. And you, we will find out their connection to the bigger ongoing threat of, uh, of Dominator X and stuff down the road. So they're, they're pretty much like if, uh, like a very dark version of young justice or the teen Titans were formed like out of necessity and survival as opposed to like an inspiration of hope. So I thought like a dark reflection of that would be a great thing for Connor to run into while he's trying to, while he's trying to learn how to operate by himself and make good decisions and help people uh, for the first time really on his own in a long time. So I thought that like a new team with a different kind of background, a different outlook on life uh, would really help and clash what Connor stands for, what he's trying to spread like galactically in terms of hope. So on top of this, you've been doing a a good amount of DC work over the past couple of years. uh, And you wrote the tie-in to the Flash movie, which is going to be coming out in under two months at the time this drops um how much were you given going into that project and is there a slightly different editorial process when you're dealing with a movie tie-in are there more chefs in the kitchen when it comes to that clearing through editorial yeah um yeah, the process is a little different. It isn't a ton different, at least in this case. I, uh, When I was asked to do it, um, I knew that I wasn't going to be told all the details of the movie. Um, so I wasn't, I, I don't know what happens in the movie. I'll just preface that. Like, uh, I could I could guess based on what they said was okay, based on what I pitched. But um, yeah, for that, I like, uh, Andrew, again, is the editor I worked on with that one. And he said, if you were going to do this, what would you want to do? And I said, well, I want to take a different approach with it. Um, I want to tell like a good evergreen flash story that's just set in this alternate continuity so that if people who've never read a flash book before or who are longtime fans could pick this up and enjoy it. Like people who love early flash stories of him learning how to use his abilities and people who've never read a flash book before and are just interested in the character because of the movie. So I gave myself that mammoth task (laughs) to tackle. I, I hope I did it Uh, from what I've heard from people that um, like new and old seem to enjoy it uh, from the few folks I've talked to in interviews A double thumbs up from you. That tells me that I did it. So, um, so I was like, yeah, that's the approach I want to take. If, if we're doing this to showcase his powers, I really want to take each story to kind of build off of the other one and make them connected but actual like enjoy it one long shot adventure so that it almost feels like a mini movie for each one that if you picked one up out of order it wouldn't necessarily matter because it would just be its own standalone sort of thing building off the last one uh and they were all for it and there was a little bit longer of an approval process but i tend to turn stuff in early anyway so I like wrote out an entire treatment. They sent it over to Warner Brothers, who then got it to Andy Muschietti, the director. He loved it. He only had like one thing he had. He didn't have any story notes to change anything, just to add in a scene to set something up. 
uh, which I did. Um, and yeah, he was all for it and like was all for the creative freedom and thought that it like spoke to the character and stuff. So I was really glad that he resonated with it so much. Uh, and then from there, it was just, um, it was just like, can we tweak this line? Let's not allude to this just yet. So it wasn't honestly that bad. Like it was, it was pretty easy going, like in terms of working with the people who were working on the movie. Um, I thought it was really an enjoyable experience. Like I said, they gave me a ton of creative freedom, uh, which I was really happy about. Um, and like working with Ricardo Lopez Ortiz, Juan Ferreira and Jason Howard, like they're three artists that I really love. So the fact that they each brought their own flavor to each script uh, was really fun uh, to, because I like, I wrote all three at the same time, um, but gave each one kind of like a different tone based on what was going on. So to see three different people interpret those tones three different ways was amazing. So I'm really proud of it. I feel like it's not like a lot of other movie tie-in books because it's its own its own thing, like as opposed to um, as, as opposed to some things that might just be like filler scenes to fill stuff up until something happens. Um, I tried to make it like actual beginning, middle and end stories that people could pick up and enjoy. Like, even if you decide you don't want to see the movie, like you could just enjoy it as a flashbook. So that was kind of like the approach and what the process was like. Uh, and I enjoyed it a lot. I'm glad people are enjoying it too. Did you like to dig into the rogues gallery? Because it would be so easy to go in and be like, okay, I'm going to do Captain Cold, Heat Wave, and Weather Wizard. But no, you went with Girder, Tar Pit, and The Top. So was it, was it your your choice to kind of go for some of those less well-known rogues? Uh, half, half yes and half no. Those were kind of the ones I was thinking of anyway. Um especially because like because like story-wise what each one was going to do because the first one's like Barry has to actually fight somebody who like speed isn't going to affect that much because he's like an immovable object and he's an unstoppable force uh so like the fact that he can't just like shove him or hit him like he says he has to learn how to actually like fight and fight something stronger than him I thought Gurr was a good choice for that with Tar Pit and that whole issue being about him uncontrollably phasing, like facing off against somebody else who has um, a body that is like going through a body horror type thing and is amorphous and stuff. I thought fit that great. And with the top being somebody who could also move quickly and is known to throw him off his game as an inventor, like I thought was the great thing to throw at him when he thinks he's like reached the pinnacle and at his best and then finally meets somebody who is, like speed wise can kind of match him, but also throws him off and doesn't allow him to operate at a hundred percent. So those just kind of ended up working out. But then also like I was, I was conscious of the fact that they probably would want to use and set up the bigger rogues later. So it ended up working out like completely fine, but I just kind of like, as a thing, I was like, you know, I'm going to stay away from, from the big ones and I'll do the ones that I think would fit really well from like, an origin story sort of thing to set up now. So it ended up just kind of working out that way. And boy, getting Juan Ferrer to do body horror tar pit as, as yeah. a guy who draws that kind of stuff. That was a great choice for that particular issue. Oh yeah. I was very excited when I found out he was doing that one. I was like, Oh great. He's going to make it extra gross and goopy and everything. And I also just love 
when he was doing the phasing thing, he did that awesome thing too, where uh, Barry like phases out of the panel, like into the gutter, which I thought was a really cool move. Um, so yeah, Juan did an awesome job with that. Just for for fun, do you have a, a favorite personal movie adaptation tie-in comic? Um, I mean, I, I've got a personal love because it was the movie that got me into comics for the Denny O'Neill, Jerry Ordway, Batman 89 prestige format. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Um, and that's in the new, like the box set thing that they just did, uh, which is awesome because I've never owned a copy of it. My friend had one, but I didn't have one um, because I love the bat. I, I wore out our copy of Batman 89 on VHS. Like they had to go buy another one because I watched it so often. <laughs> um but yeah, I think my favorite. Um, so I I got a two a two part answer for that one too. I think the favorite one I owned was the uh, the Batman Forever one, which I got uh, as a kid, like right from the shop, and I was so hyped for when that movie came out because like everybody else, I was like more Jim Carrey as much as you can, please. Uh, so I was so excited for that movie, and then the second one was. Uh, one I remember buying in issues was the Independence Day tie-in comic because I also loved that movie as a kid. So go, that was the first time is like something was coming out, and it, I think it came out before the movie or maybe like right alongside. But I just remember the hype for that, and I was like such a science fiction fan as a kid and stuff. And like one of my one of my relatives was like so hyped for that movie to take me to it because they loved like old sci-fi movies and stuff. So. Those were the two I remember as a kid getting super pumped uh, to get. Oh, that just Dan and I we saw Independence Day what opening weekend together back then Pretty probably close. yeah. <laughs> oh. So in prepping for this interview, I uh, I, I mainlined uh, DC Mech over over the weekend, and uh, I, I was I was curious. You know, first of all, how did that opportunity come about? Oh yeah, so. DC like started leaning real heavy into Elseworlds again, which I mm -hmm. love because I love all the art alternate universe stuff. I think it's one of the best parts of the DC universe. Like there's a reason why people love Gotham by Gaslight and Red Sun and everything or Kingdom Come and why people go back to those books all the time. And so the opportunity to do that, like it felt like a huge honor, like to be able to craft a different version of the DC universe. And uh, my editor, Dave Wilgus, came to me and was like, uh, he knew I was a huge Gundam and like mech fan, like anything mech related, I will ingest by uh, without looking, just put it into my mouth like a toddler. Uh, so I so he knew that I loved mecha stuff and that I like had a deep appreciation for how it worked, like as a genre. And he came to me, he's like, listen, I have a title. It's DC Mech. What would you do with that? if you could do a whole Elseworlds thing. And so he was like, you know, like take a couple, like take a couple months, just come back with a one pager or whatever. Uh, I messaged him back at the end of that week. And I was like, I have eight pages <laughs> like of outline of like the timeline, how the universe shifted and everything. So he was like, let's, let's go, man. And so we ran through it all. Um, I created spreadsheets of like armaments and how everything worked when Baltimore got on and we like went through the history of how every mech was built differently. Um, so they, that was another 
opportunity where I just got like a crazy amount of creative freedom to like rebuild the universe from the from the ground up. And because like I'm such a fan of the mech genre, I tried to give every single character a different like mecha origin and a different design scheme. I didn't want them to all just feel like they were getting into big robot versions of themselves. Like I wanted them to feel like there was a history behind the technology or the development or what the design choices were similar to how in these mecha things, when there's like warring factions and they have different design sense. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of my love of like the mecha genre went in there and just for like justice league stories and like getting the team together stuff. So I tried to mix a lot of those elements in while kind of focusing around like the emotional core of the story being like, what if Superman came later and people didn't like aliens <laughs> and he shows up like during another invasion, like people would not be happy about that. So I like focusing around that of like a Superman showing up in his late twenties or his early twenties, who's like been battle hardened and traveled to other planets and stuff coming and not having that earth background and being seen as an outsider uh, to a group that have been trying to fight off aliens uh, their entire lives. I thought it was just a great emotional and like different hook and, uh, and take on Superman and like his relationship to the justice league or squadron as I call them uh, in this one. You, you get to play, you know, like, like this book, reads in places like sort of you know what if the new frontier but with mech suits you know does does the malleability of dc history provide especially when you're working with you know uh, across the whole line does does that provide more challenge or or opportunity for you uh in a world like this more opportunity and i'm so glad you said new frontier because one i have a giant poster of it behind me because it's one of my favorite books ever Mm -hmm. and two it was a huge inspiration of like how i wanted to pace it and make it feel um with like the different timeline and how things were working so yeah i i love like being creative inside the sandbox and building things up um instead of like breaking it and knocking it down so I wanted to find the like natural things in the DC universe that would lead to this, uh, which is why I had eight crazy pages of being like of me coming in like an eighties movie executive and kicking open. I was like, we start it at the end of world war two. And he was like, really? I was like, yes. With the JSA and they're tired and they're exhausted for fighting the Nazis. And then that's when uh, like, that's when dark side invades. Uh, and I was like, and he's, done something he's never done before which is like mine the source wall for metal and materials to build like a giant army so it was fun finding ways to nudge the dc universe into a mecha based combat thing instead of a super heroic space combat thing um and i very specifically also thematically wanted to start with the jsa because i wanted the characters to be enhanced but not necessarily at the power levels they're at in the normal sort of sense so I tried to keep them all at like golden age level of power. So like Clark outside of the suit is stronger, but usually not as stronger because so much of his biology is going to powering the engine of his suit. So that was also like a subliminal sort of choice to like start it in the golden age so that we like place them at golden age sort of power levels and skill sets so that they would still need mechanized suits. Even though we prove at the beginning that like super heroics ain't going to cut it. Uh, um, so that was another another reason why, I mean, spoiler alert for the first five pages, the JSA don't make it out. 
don't make it out of that first scout that shows up. So yeah, it was really fun being able to, um, to play with the history. And I like, I love the history of these characters. So the chance to get to do it in a new way and do new takes on them uh, was so much fun. And so we tried to put as, as much fun as we had just coming up with crazy stuff. We tried to put as much heart in it and show appreciation for where these characters come from and how their lives would be different. Um, if the situation were, uh, were a whole new thing we've never seen before. So with that love of history, I've got to imagine you were pretty psyched when DC Mac was canonized as Earth 28 at the end of Dark Crisis. Oh, yeah. Uh, Over the moon, like I now refer to it all the time as Earth 28. Uh, The fact that Mark Wade did it, like you might as well. That was the equivalent of me coming out of the house and finding a car with a bow on it in the driveway. Like uh, (laughs) it's going to just been a giant Superman mech. Like Mark Wade has always been like a huge inspiration of mine. I, I love his work, uh, past, present, and probably future. So the fact that he took the time to name the earth and the universe that my characters come from, and that it's forever earth 28, uh, was a huge honor. And I was absolutely floored when I saw it. So we've touched this a little bit, you know, the Superman of earth 28 is, a very different version of Kalel. You know, he's younger, brasher, well-intentioned, you know, uh, kind of literally white knighty in some ways, you know, he makes mistakes. Mm-hmm. How do you feel like that prepared you to write Connor? Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, they're very similar in the sense that uh, that Superman never had to rely on anybody else. And, uh, actually had it put on him that he was supposed to save everybody like and on connor's end he's putting all of this pressure on himself now that he needs to go out and be the only thing standing between other people in oblivion so i feel like that really prepared me to take connor in a new direction of like giving him a similar setup of instead of having his parents put the weight on his shoulders connor's putting it on his shoulders himself because he feels like the only way he's going to make his marker be useful is if he if he steps out and puts this kind of pressure on himself. Uh, so yeah, I actually never thought of that, but that's like that's a very good like parallel in terms of like their personalities and stuff going into it. And then, as a Green Lantern fan, as we've established, you know it, it must have been nice that you didn't have to just pick one to play with because then you had you had Hal and John working as a team plus i mean alan obviously in the beginning but you know those those two for the thrust of the series oh yeah and like immediately when i was thinking of it i was like oh the green lantern mech is robotech valkyrie like macross like it's got to be a fighter jet and then i started to think like i wanted to do something unique with that too where i was like well if they're like if they're all tech based and they're building on things that the jsa like helped develop alan would leave his ring like as an heirloom as like a power source for any designs that he had made so the thought that like that went through my head was like if it's between the earth lanterns of who would be able to wield alan's ring it would be john like if alan's personality and like use of the ring is like imprinted on it kind of like how they talk about how like they can tell when a ring is their ring based on how it operates i was like Mm -hmm. alan's engineer mind would be similar to john's like architectural mind and that he would he would probably be able to wield that better and sync with it better than somebody else 
So that was the decision that like Al would pilot so that John could focus on trying to like get the ring to fully respond, uh, which I thought was just also a cool dynamic of like showing them like, cause I've always loved their, like their developing friendship and everything and them as partners to be able to do that as like them as literally like co-pilots, like Top Gun style, I thought was like too good of an opportunity to pass up. So it was really fun to be able to do that. Yeah. And then, uh, one more shout out to uh Baldemar for drawing Hawkwoman uh in the present in a a kind of David Byrne talking head style suit the entire time. <laughs> Bold choice. I appreciated it. <laughs> yeah, that was that was uh that was his idea because I don't think I specified what she was wearing. I was just like, she's a little bit older. Uh she's dressed like she's in command. I think it was like for the nines suit mm-hmm. and i was like that's uh that completely fits um and i thought it was cool to put her in that role of like a surviving member of the jsa and like also because of like the obvious xenophobia of the planet now like taking a step back and being more like developmental and hiding a little bit because she know she knows that like probably some people know that the hawks were aliens in this timeline but like she would probably just know that like she's already fighting to try to save this planet to get out there and have them turn against her would just make things even worse. Um, and that's why I wanted to play into a lot of that xenophobia and like prejudice and stuff, especially when Kal-El like lands in Smallville and everything. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to spoil the book for too many people who haven't read it yet, but uh, I know the collection of that's coming out later this year. And if you yeah. haven't read it, you should check it out. So let's say toys based on these comics land on your desk tomorrow. What container is big enough to hold your tears of joy? None. Absolutely none. <laughs> if the if the company who currently makes the DC toys uh, that I have like over here on my shelf were to make them, that knocks off so many like childhood dreams that uh, they might have to call an ambulance uh, because I'll be so dehydrated from from crying. It'll fill up the room like in the shape of water and I'll be swimming in it uh, <laughs> because I'll be so happy uh, to have seen them. So if that happens, yeah, uh, you guys will have to just have 911 on speed dial because I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna need some I'm going to need some saline to get the to get the hydration back up in me. You wrote a couple of uh, fun shorts in Batman Urban Le- for the Batman Urban Legends anthology. Mm-hmm. And one of them was pretty much a, a Dick Grayson as Robin story. And one was DC 1 million and Robin, the toy wonder. <laughs> yeah. And now you're writing Connor who, while not a sidekick per se is, you know, a, a teen hero. What is it about the sidekick and the, the teen hero that makes it such a lasting part of comics, especially when it's one of the, in the long run, sort of more outlandish things, you know, let's dress this kid up and drag him out into danger, robbing the boy hostage and all that. Um, the thing I've always loved about the sidekicks um, and the younger characters, especially the DC universe is that it's so that universe is so much more based on like pulp and like the believability that like a kid would enter, enter the fray in these sort of stories. And I also just love the legacy of it. 
of like knowing that these characters are in it for the long haul and are going to be the next generation to come. Um, because like I absolutely like one of my favorite Batman runs is the is the run where Dick Grayson becomes Batman for a period. Like I thought that was a great evolution. I love that they gave him his own villains to tackle. Um, like I just love the idea of legacy and that uh, you get to expand the stories out and have different takes have them butt heads with their mentors. So I've always just really liked the, like the younger perspective, especially as being a younger person who's into comics. It was that thing that they always said that like, it gave me a character to empathize with who was younger, uh, who was coming into it. Like, I love that idea of legacy and that like, when the, like when the ones and the mentors over them fall, like they will be the first ones to step up and like continue the fight sort of thing. So I've always loved that aspect of it. And I, I love these legacy characters and these teen characters so much. Like I like every member of Teen Titans or Young Justice, like I think is an amazing character. And they aren't just they aren't just carbon copies of the people that that are their mentors. Like they each have their own personalities. Like Speedy is so different from Green Arrow and like Wally West Kiss Kid Flash was like so different than Barry Allen was in terms of his attitude. So I just absolutely love the legacy aspect of these characters. I think it's really fun to explore, like what is it like for the next generation to enter the fray and how will they develop? So uh, as we, as we wind down uh, a, th- a regular thing that we'd like to do on the show is uh, talk to creators about their pets. So uh, tell us about your cats. Yeah. So I have four cats now, which I never thought I would have. Um, so, uh, they are all named after different food items. Uh, we have, uh, a black cat who's about 12, uh, 11 or 12. His name is Noodle. Uh, the first gray cat who's about a year and a half or two years, his name is Butterth. Uh, and then we have two new kittens who are siblings, uh, but also gray cats, one that's, um, sleek and short haired and the other one that's a big floofy boy. Uh, their names are, uh, Moon Pie and, uh, Sir Beef of Wellington, or Beefy, as he's also known as. Um, so they all have different food names. Uh, and Noodle tolerates the little ones. He's he's grown more accustomed to them, but the gray cats like love to sleep in like a pile and chase each other and stuff just because they're a little bit younger. But yeah, so we have uh we have four pets now. And and none of them is in the room with you right now? No, they all just ate like their dinner a bit ago. So they're taking a post dinner nap. Like they're big on food comas. So they're in about 20 or 30 minutes. They're going to want to (laughs) play again, especially the little ones. But they were in here right Mm -hmm. before I was talking to you guys. All of them came in here. were like stepping on the keyboard and jumping over (laughs) things and pushing stuff over. So they will just like flock to whatever room we're in. But right now, like my wife is also home, so I think they're up hanging mm-hmm. out with her and taking their, like I said, their post dinner coma nap. Plus that, plus a cat that goes into a coma after food. I wish. Oh yeah, yeah. Know. They're just like knocked out. Uh, and Beefy also sleeps with his tongue out all the time too, which is a very funny thing. So it's very adorable. Um, we came home one time. And he had somehow tucked himself into the bed like a person and was like laying on the on the pillow with his tongue sticking out and his head back. So the guy the guy's got some big chill vibes for a little fluffy <laughs> dude. No, my my Bess 
food is it's not coma after it's like okay i've been fed now it's time for you to pet me pet okay me. yes now pamper me right exactly well why aren't you petting me well i know you have to work but i don't care pet me <laughs> I thought you were gonna say she gets the zoomies after. Uh... The zoomies are beneath her. <laughs> oh, the, yeah. The look she would give the other cat that we had when he would run around. She was just the most contemptuous. Like you're demeaning our entire species, playing into that stereotype. <laughs> she, she's royalty and wants yeah. everyone to know it. She's like, I don't run. Okay. I like we don't do that. I don't go above a slow gate or anything. People bring things to me. I don't. I don't go running for things. Yep. Uh, so, uh, do you have any uh, with with Superboy coming out? Any uh, store signings? Uh, you know, uh, convention p- appearances uh, upcoming? Yeah, I'm going to be doing uh, free comic book day at Volta Midnight, which is a comic book store chain in michigan i'm going to be at the grand rapids one which is where i'm located uh so i'm going to be doing that on i think it's may 6th or 7th is free comic book day and then i'm also going to be doing a small uh comic book convention in traverse city michigan um coming up next called cherry capital con i'm going to be doing that and then i'll also be doing the grand rapids comic con coming up in november and then the rest of my schedule is kind of in flux as i see which shows uh, i end up going to but i'll be doing those um i was going to do a store signing for superboy but since it was so close to free comic book day i figured i would just wait uh, mm-hmm. and do it then two birds one stone <laughs> yep penultimate question what are you reading right now Ooh, so much uh so i just finished i got the compendium of uh, alamore's top 10 so I went back through that and read a lot of the stuff that I couldn't get my hands on in terms of like the mini series and stuff following afterwards. I'm doing a, um, oh, I'm doing a, like a book club event with another comic book store in another state where we're going to be talking about uh, all-star Superman um, in like in preparation of Superboy coming out. I'm really excited about that. I haven't read that in like a year or two and I try to read it every year. That's one of those books that like, I hit up um, as many times as I can, like just because I absolutely love it. Uh, and um, the name of the shop that I'm doing that with is Apothesis Comics. Uh, and that's in St. Louis. So they were nice enough to ask me to do that. And I'm very excited about it uh, because I love that book. Um, anytime I need like a good, like direct injection to Superman, that's the one I obviously go to. Uh, so I'm going to be ta- I'm going to be reading that again pretty quick. And then I recently also read uh, that new Defenders Beyond series from Marvel, which I liked a lot. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I read an absolute metric ton. So like my Goodreads, I use that just to track what I've read because I'll forget uh, because I've read so much. Um, And during the pandemic, I read, I know how much like manga guys you guys are, but I took on the monumental thing of being locked down that I read every chapter of One Piece which is like a thousand one hundred chapters or something like that. It's like a hundred and five hundred and six volumes. Uh, so I'm a big reader. I read whatever. I just got the new Junji Ito horror manga. I'm excited about that. Um, and then uh, I also, what's the other one I read? I read a horror. I can't even remember because I've read so much lately. But yeah, I've always got like two or three books going. But I'm excited to jump back into All Star Superman tonight. 
It's a classic. Well, uh, Kenny, this has been a fantastic hour. Final question as we release you back into the world. Uh, how can people follow you online and keep up with Superboy and everything else that you got going on? Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, so you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. My handle on both is at Ken Blake Porter. I'm also on TikTok um, at Porter Comics. And then you can go to portercomics.com and find uh, and find all my info there about, you know, books that I have coming out. I try to make sure to keep it up to date. Um, and then I was wrong. It's ke- at Kenny Porter Comics for TikTok. I had to go check. Uh, I was like, I don't think that sounds right when I said it. Um, but yeah, um, you can check out my website, bordercomics.com. There's usually a link to everything there. But I'm pretty good about posting and keeping people up to date on stuff. Uh, and I'm always good for a funny meme or a joke, too. So people <laughs> people tend to enjoy those. Uh, well, Kenny, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is part of Comics XF, where you can find this podcast along with our sister podcasts, Battle of the Atom, and Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast co-hosted by Matt Lazowitz and our bud Will Nevin. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a free comic in the mail for my collection. A $2 donation gets you a Pete Wisdom Hot Claws sticker designed by Kevin Newburn. A $3 donation gets you access to our bonus podcast, Our Son Pete, a deep dive into the appearances of British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom. A $4 donation gets you access to Our Son Pete and the sticker. A $25 donation lets you plug your crowdfunded or creator-owned comic in the 60-second spot. And a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis, Robert Secundus, Liz Large, and Will Nevin from Comics XF, Carla Pacheco, Mike Sagawa, and Asimov Fangirl, a.k.a. The Loyalist Content Consumer. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQComics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF, assuming Twitter still works. And until next week, remember, somewhere out there, there's a Batman comic where all the characters simply cannot stop saying the word boner. W-N-Q-A. W-N-Q-A.